Well, good morning, gentlemen. Some of you were here a little bit uh, earlier than normal. The time change has got some benefits to it anyway. Um, the uh, I, I do like the, the fallback mornings. I don't particularly enjoy the, uh, the evenings. Um, I uh, went with Jared and picked up some... Uh, some firewood after work uh, yesterday, and I just about got it home. And then the next thing you know, it's dark. You know, it's uh, five o'clock in the evening or whatever time it is. Well, open your Bibles to Psalm five. We actually begin a new lesson today. We're in series eight, and we're going to be talking about biblical counseling, or I think better, personal discipleship. And I'll explain a little bit, uh, in a little bit, what I mean uh, by that. Whenever you hear the term biblical counseling, um, you should not be scared away by that term. Not just because you think Mark Hager biblical counseling, that's probably scary. But <laughs> biblical counseling is nothing more than personal discipleship. It's something that every believer is commanded to do. And every believer uh, probably does it more than they're, than they're aware of. Uh, you just might need to develop some skill in it. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next several lessons. It's going to be very helpful for your own soul um, and also uh, for, the, for the body of Christ. But we're going to open this morning with Psalm, Psalm 5. And what a, what a great, great song it is. This is uh, a Psalm of David. <clears throat> Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. You ever groan before the Lord? I don't mean grumble, but groan. <laughs> Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. Watch this. For I, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you. And eagerly watch. Does God hear your voice in the morning? Um, I hope he does. He wants to. He said, David says to God, you'll hear my voice in the morning. In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. He doesn't just, doesn't just talk to God. He, he looks to God eagerly expecting and eagerly waiting for the Lord. And why does he do that? Verse 4, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all iniquity. I think one of the most humble acts that we ever do in life, especially as believers, is to pray, right? And you bow your head. There's no prescribed posture for prayer. Open eyes, closed eyes, head bowed, stand up, laid down, flat on your face on the floor. You see it all over the Bible. But the point is that your heart is bowed before God, right? You're looking to Him. And David kind of echoes this here in verse 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Well, that's a verse that kind of cuts against the... Um, God is love, and you can do anything, and no problem. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed, 
and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, your hesed, your mercy, covenant faithfulness, I will enter your house. It's the only way David's getting in. The only way any of us are getting in, by God's mercy. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence to you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. The inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Does that sound familiar? A couple of those passages in there. It's Romans 3. The depravity of man. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. I want the blessings of the Lord, don't you? Well, let's pray and ask God for them. Father, what a what a great psalm we have before us. Um, and it is my purpose, my intention every day, that in the morning you would hear my voice, not just in the morning, you would hear it all day long. Paul said to pray without ceasing, live in a constant attitude of communion and conversation with you. It doesn't have to be flowery language, it's just the cry of the heart and as David even says here. So we come before you together, Father. We, we bow our heads in humility. We look to you, um, the one and only true God, and we ask for your mercy. You, um, I ask, Lord, that you would teach us from our lesson today. You would help iron to sharpen iron. You would help me to teach and instruct and, and uh, us to, uh, to glean from one another. Teach us, Father, about our responsibility to, uh, to disciple one another, um, to form Christ in one another, to admonish and, and instruct. Show us, Lord, that it's not something just for the experts. It's something that you've called all of us to do. And um, we love you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you provide a way for us to be right with you through the blood of your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to show you a little video. I'm going to probably cut it off because this is actually a promotion um, for some biblical counseling training in South Africa. And you may have heard me mention uh, the name Dr. Joel James in the Ecclesiastes series, my friend who is over there. I went through the doctoral program at Masters with him. And uh, I preached for him, going to see uh, Tim and Emmy. This is, uh, they, they have a, uh, uh, a similar expositors type of seminary, shepherd seminary he's part of. And then they also do training in the local church, biblical counseling training. And Joel also teaches for faith in Lafayette. And so he's a certified counselor. But I really like the way, the reason I'm showing you this, I really like the way he explains normal discipleship, normal growth uh, in the Christian life. 
and then the purpose of biblical counseling, the purpose of of restoring one another, the purpose of you know going into somebody's life, coming alongside somebody in 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 personal discipleship. I think he gives a really good illustration here that that helps you get your mind around it. So let's watch. So I don't know if you could understand him because of the the uh, the background music there, but he gave a, an illustration, and he talked about two different ways God um, grows our soul. God waters the ground, and what were they? Okay, raising the water table. How did he say that happened? Yeah, expository preaching. You're sitting sitting under under the word. I think we, we we mistakenly only think that sanctification uh, we only think sanctification happens in these in these major moments in our lives, you know when and clearly God works in major moments. I mean I can look back in my life and I can see wow the Lord really you know did something in my heart here and really did something in my heart here, but sanctification is happening even this morning. Like if you leave here today and you're not you know massively convicted about some horrible sin and come to somebody and cough up an alligator, God is at work in your in your life. Don't think that Christianity or sanctification is just at the end of a service or when somebody responds to an altar call or whenever they're deeply convicted about something. Sanctification happens whenever you're sitting under the under the rain. And then the water table under the ground raises. What 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 did he say the water table, what's that concept? What was, he, what was he meaning by the water table? What happens when the water table rises in a, in a Christian's life? Maturity. Maturity. Somebody else have something? 
Yeah, he was saying that you have the ability, you just gradually learn how to deal with your problems biblically. I mean, everybody has problems, Christians and non-Christians, they all have problems. The, the, the issue is how do they go about solving those problems? What do they, what do, they do to try to fix those problems? Where, where do they go? Someone sitting under expository preaching, biblical preaching, somebody who just speaks God's voice. Let's say it this way. Someone sitting under the voice of God, what will happen is gradually over time the water table just, just rises. And so whenever there's a problem and you're living up here and you have to get to the water, you don't have to, you don't have to go very far. It's, it's there. So, you know, we've said, we've said before, we understand that Timberlake or any of the other TES churches or whoever, we're not the only ones on the planet that are preaching the gospel and, you know, and are, are sanctifying people. God's saving me. God saved me in a, in a, a church that people that love the Lord um, but didn't have a number of the blessings that, that, we have, that we have here. My pastor didn't even... Didn't even go to Bible college, much less seminary. I mean, he 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 knew Greek and Hebrew from from Strong's, and there was a lot of issues there. It was a very weak doctrinally, but the Lord still saved me. Um, so God saves people in churches that don't have a biblical philosophy of ministry. The sad part is, in a lot of those churches, people are left to struggle in their sanctification on their own or without the tools. That God has has given, and if you've ever encountered, you know, folks that you know, maybe friends of yours, maybe relatives, and you go to a church, I mean, and 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 then you know, you don't show back up for for another five years or ten years or whatever it is, and they're exactly the same as when you left them. They're still struggling with the exact same issues. Well, there's a number of reasons that that could be. Uh, one, they may not be a believer. Uh, two, they may not be applying themselves to the, the teaching and truth there. Or three, there may not be a lot of rain that's happening. <laughs> and so the ground remains dry. What's the other analogy that he gave besides just raising the water table? That's what, that's what we all do. We raise the water table. Yeah, taking a well. And everybody in here will we'll have to get we'll have to, to get some water at time more than, than than just the water table. We have to dig a well. I mean everybody in here is gonna struggle with with something um, because we're we're all the, the same and I'll show you that that's why nobody is immune from, from what we're talking about. We're all on page one oh seven um, in your Bibles, I'm sorry, in your uh, Grace and Granite uh, book this morning. And we're looking at biblical counseling and personal discipleship. And this is the very first study on that. Building blocks to counseling and disciple, discipling others. Whether it's sitting under the rain or digging a well, both of those have the same goal. And that's growing in Christ or, or discipleship. Biblical counseling is giving counsel that's biblical. Everybody asks for counsel. Everybody gives counsel. It's, it's amazes, it's, it amazes me at times how freely people give counsel, whether it's right or wrong. You ask somebody's opinion, they'll give you their opinion. The problem is it, it may not be worth uh, 
worth a, a, a plug nickel, as they say. So biblical counseling is giving counsel that's biblical and knowing how to do that, no matter who you are, um, you need to be able to, to do that, that as a man. Now, of course, there are different levels. Um, there are people that are particularly skilled or gifted in it. There are people that have a lot more experience you know, at it. But every Christian should be able to give biblical counsel to another Christian. In fact, that's how we, that's how we grow. So this is a foundational study that addresses some preliminary yet central concerns to biblical counseling. We're going we're gonna to examine misconceptions. There's a lot of them out there. We're going to examine the goals of discipleship or biblical counseling, and then also the basis for it. And then there's a little a paragraph in here about, uh, about the credit. I've mentioned to you before um, the Grace and Granite material comes from a number of, uh, of sources, and Grace Community uh, Church is, is one of them. Well, we're going to make you do some work this morning, so you're going to have to look up some passages. So I'm going to need uh, about five or six people today. And so the first passage that I need somebody to look up is Acts 20, verse 31, all right? Second uh, Timothy three sixteen. Who'd be willing to read that? Thank you, Russ. Uh, Romans fifteen fourteen. All right, Peter. First um, Corinthians four fourteen through twenty. Brian. Second Corinthians three eighteen. Be willing to do that? Thank you. And then Colossians one twenty eight. Bobby, did you have your hand up? Yeah. Okay. All right, so here's what I want you to listen for. These are all verses that, that relate to discipleship or biblical counseling um, or a growing in Christ, helping someone else grow in Christ and, and grow in yourself. So I want you to listen for the words that relate to that. Acts 20.31 Therefore be alert. Okay, so what, what word in there, uh, I'm going to have him read it again. What words in there have to do with, with discipleship? Go ahead. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. All right, what's the, what's the verb? Okay, that's the verb, admonish. And uh, whenever you read admonish, in, in an English text, you should think two Greek words. You should think two words. You should think truth um, and mind. Um, it's nous tithemi, which is where we get the term nuthetic. You've heard of nuthetic counseling. It comes from the mind to place truth in the mind. So when someone admonishes you, don't always think it's negative. Okay? To admonish means to come alongside and place truth in your mind. Has somebody ever done that for you? Man, I'm so thankful for people that, that do that. Now, sometimes that, that hurts, uh, but that's how you know whether you have a faithful brother. I mean, I'm really, really thankful for the other men that, that I get to serve with that in meetings, group meetings, or one-on-one, 
we will come to one another. They'll come to me and say, you know, I mean, we were in the meeting and you said this. And I don't know if you realized it or not, but it, it kind of sounded harsh. You know, That's a faithful brother who's willing to do that. Or it's something more serious. They, they see that, that, you know, wow, I haven't. I haven't seen you on Sunday night in the last, you know, three weeks. What's, you know, what, what's up, man? Somebody to love you enough to do that, to come alongside and place truth in your mind because truth transforms and truth matters um, for, for life. And, and how often did Paul do this? Did he just do it on Sunday mornings whenever you showed up for church? What did he say? Every day, all the time, you know. So, I mean, I understand we joke about, uh, you know, Obama or whoever, I'm my brother's keeper, or, you know, Hillary Clinton, it takes a village. But there is a biblical aspect that we're responsible for the spiritual growth of one another. We really are. I mean, that's what it means to be in covenant commitment to each other um, as, as believers. So Paul was passionate about doing what we're talking about. He said, day and night, I came along and I placed truth in your mind. Every opportunity I had, I, I put it there and, and I took out anything that was not there by, by placing the, the truth. All right? So where do you go to get that truth? Where, where does that come from? You know, uh, Pastor Brian's uh, uh, um, guide to life. Boy, that's a scary thought. Well, here's the source. It's not that. It's this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, here's the source. I know you know this, this passage, but... but but this is a this is a pivotal pivotal text in the Bible. Not only does it establish the inspiration of the Bible, the Bible is God breathed. It's from the very Lord Himself, and therefore it has His authority. We've said this before. Whenever God speaks, He does stuff. So when I speak, whatever. But to the extent that what I'm doing on Sunday morning or what I'm doing right now or what you're doing and talking to another brother, to the extent that you are echoing God's voice. I mean, that's all we're doing. We're echoing God's voice. When God's voice is heard, then the Lord does stuff. Um, salvation and sanctification. He creates his people by the word and he sanctifies, changes us by the, by the word. And so the inspiration of the Bible is in this passage. How the uh, the Bible works, what what we use the Bible for, is is listed there: teaching, reproof, correction, and and training, which has everything to do with what we're talking about: discipling, teaching. That word means the content, the content of everything that we instruct uh, other people with comes from the Bible. That's, that's where we get the content. Um, it's the it's the instruction that we do. Maybe you might think of teaching like the rain that falls. We go to the, the Bible, that's the content, and we instruct. We instruct ourselves, other people, corporately, privately. Reproof. This is the faithful brother part, rebuke. 
This is when somebody exposes wrong thinking or wrongdoing in your life. Do not think that Christianity is limited to bad behavior, you know, correcting bad behavior, or that sin is limited to bad behavior. The Bible doesn't always tell you what to do. The Bible tells you what to think because your thinking is broken from the fall. So the Bible rightly interprets reality, to use a phrase that you'll hear Mark say on a regular basis. And so a rebuke is to expose that. Um, correction. That's what we do whenever we are exposed. Okay, so you have the instruction, the content, and then at times we need rebuked, we need exposed, we need to be shown and then what, ha- what do you do whenever you're shown that you're wrong? There's the correction part. It's the restoration. It's the idea to restore. And then training, you know, positive, positive training. Um, teaching someone to do something well and do it over and over and over and over. Um, so there's the source. That we have, and then the last part is that that is that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished into every good work, complete. There's the sufficiency of Scripture. Everything you need is in the Bible. It has God's authority. It's profitable. It's you can use it for all of these things, and that what it will produce, if you look to it, it is it's totally sufficient, and it'll bring about maturity, and that's what we're aiming at, maturity. All right, Romans fifteen fourteen. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Mm, well, this is a key passage, isn't it? Now, I'm going to have Peter read that again, and I want you to listen. What's the difference between this passage and what Paul said that we read first in Acts 20, when he didn't cease night and day to admonish? What's the difference between Acts 20 and what Peter's just getting ready to read, uh, or getting ready to read in Acts, I'm sorry, in Romans 15, 14? Go ahead, Peter. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Okay, what's the difference? Who's doing the instruction in that passage? The brethren in Romans. That's exactly right. So you are able to instruct one another. God did not design the Christian life or the church to have this massive gap between clergy and laity that every problem that you have, you have to come to the pastors or whoever that's, that's there. I'm a believer like you're a believer. I have spiritual gifts. You have spiritual gifts. They're different. They function. But, but we are all the same in the Lord and we all have the same authority and we all can practice the same the same process, which is we we instruct and admonish one another. That's why we can say that this is not just for the experts. This is for everybody. The biblical counseling and discipleship is for is for everybody. First Corinthians four, fourteen through twenty. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Though you might have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, 
will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Mm. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Read verse 14 for us again. There's that idea of admonishment again. What did you hear in that passage? <clears throat> what did you hear? What, what jumped out at you? Uh, what, what I heard was the relationship. Okay, relationship. The relationship. That he talked about you have numerous people who yeah. instruct you, but they are not establishing a real relationship with you. Mm. I'm like a spiritual he father, was, he said. He emphasizing that relationship aspect of the council. Yeah, that's good. Yep. I heard that he was also not teaching just by knowledge, but by example. Mm, that's exactly right. So you have the relational part. You have the example part. Follow me. Be imitators of of me. So part of part of biblical counseling is not just saying words. It's living a life. It's coming alongside someone else's life. It's. I mean, we. They say about your children a lot is uh, is caught as much as taught. <laughs> They, you, you learn by you learn by by modeling by watching a model. That's the part that that I cringe about. I'm sure you do too. Whenever you see what <laughs> what the mirror reflects, you know you go, "Wow, that was me right there," and that was not a really good thing to imitate. What else did you hear? What else did Paul do? He cared. He warned them. There was a relational aspect, like a father to a child. He modeled it. Who did he send? Yeah, when he couldn't come, he sent Timothy. And is Timothy just some random guy? No, Timothy's somebody that Paul's done the same thing. He's he's poured into him. So there's another example that it's not just Paul, the apostle, but but others. Second Corinthians three eighteen. We're almost done. We only have two more. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay. So why are we reading that passage? It gives us the context of where we're supposed to point okay. other people in Christ. It's true. Very true. There's another aspect, too. We all are going to end up same way. Yeah. That's the purpose of it. So that we all look like Christ. Yeah. Somebody said transformation. I mean, that's just what we're aiming at. We look to Christ and we're transformed into the image of Christ. That's our goal, to become more Christ-like. Not to become, you know, more whatever. Just to be more like, I like the Lord. Yeah. It's like we're standing in front of the mirror seeing a Christ mm. uh, living in a glass house. Mm. It's good. <clears throat> yeah, we're reflecting that. We want to want to do that. Here's the last one. Colossians 1.28. So this has the whole ball of wax. It's one of our one of our theme verses. Listen to to at least four parts here. You, you may condense the the middle of it to, to one part. So maybe you say three. Read it again for us. Him we proclaim, okay. warning everyone and 
teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we're proclaiming Him, Christ. What else are, are we doing? Admonishing and teaching in all wisdom. So I'm correcting, I'm doing the instruction, I'm doing the rebuking part, I'm coming along, I'm placing truth in the mind, I'm also instructing the systematic part, and what is our goal for doing that? Maturity, that's exactly right. That's our goal. We're going to grow up in grow up in the Lord. So there's some foundational truths that that really lay the groundwork for this entire study. Let's look at uh, what we've got written here. Biblical counseling and discipleship can best be grasped by looking both at what it is not and what it is. So we're going to look at biblical counseling, what it's not, and then we're going to look at what it what it is. Number one, biblical counseling and discipleship is not just for experts, quote unquote. Um, God did not design spiritual growth to only be handled by the experts. That's uh, not an excuse for laziness or lack of skill. This does not mean that you, um, you know, you mock education or learning more. In fact, you're commanded to do that. You're commanded to grow. You're commanded to pursue. But this. Biblical counseling is not just for the, the experts. Turn to Galatians 6.1, and I'll show that to you. You know this passage probably. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness or meekness. Um, each one looking to yourselves so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of, of Christ. So who's he talking to here? Very first word. Brethren, plural, believers. The church at large. Um, not seminary students. The whole church. And he says, if anyone among you is caught in any trespass, you've probably heard this before, but it's the idea of, of falling uh, you know, into a difficult situation, uh, breaking a bone. The idea of being caught in a trespass is like a crouching tiger in the weeds. You, you got waylaid by sin. You, you got off track in, in, in some way. And that happens to all of us, as we say. You know, the devil doesn't show up and knock on your door and ask to come in, and you let him. And and, and usually, the, a slide into sin, you know, happens over a period of time, and and um, it it waylays you, catches you off guard at times. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted to bear one another's burdens. So, verse 2, bearing one another's burdens, part of that is what we're doing. When you're restoring someone, you're, you're helping to bear their burden. The, the word for burden there is, is, is not the day pack that, that will come later, like a, like a, a rucksack for, for an individual soldier. This is, 
This is a burden too heavy for one person to carry. So this is a burden that God never intended an individual to carry. And when you fall into sin, you can get confused and it can be so entangling and so difficult. You need somebody to help come along and put a shoulder up under that and bear up under that that burden. And that's what we do in the church whenever this whenever this 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 happens. But I want you to notice he qualifies brethren here. Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, who is supposed to do the the restoring? You who are spiritual. So okay. So now Paul's qualified the brethren. The spiritual are supposed to be doing the restoration. So who is the who's the spiritual? Well, where would we find that answer? Where would we go to figure out who the who the spiritual person, the spiritual ones are that Paul's that Paul's talking about? Well, we, we would go to the context. We would go in the book itself. Maybe Paul has said something about spiritual people prior to Galatians six one, and indeed he has. Look at verse sixteen. You can go back even to the beginning of chapter 4. What is Paul doing in the book of Galatians? He's contrasting the, 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 the law and the, the spirit. The operation of the gospel through the spirit versus, versus continuing to, to try to, to keep the, the, wall, uh, the law. So Paul tells us very clearly who the spiritual ones are. They're believers that are that are at the moment don't need to be restored. <laughs> it's any believer. Verse 16. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. So Paul defines the spiritual in Galatians 6. One of the individuals who are walking by the Spirit. They're living their life. They're living their Christian life by the Spirit. Now don't ever mysticize this, as this is some heightened spiritual state. Paul's contrasting law and spirit here. This, this is a believer that's in Christ. Walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for they're in opposition to one another. That you may not do the things that you please. Look at verse 16. But if you are led by the Spirit, <clears throat> you're not... You're not under the law. So a spiritual person, somebody who walks by the Spirit, somebody who's led by the Spirit, and now he's going to show the fruit of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. And you know verse 22. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, Paul's defining for us who the spiritual are is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step by the Spirit. Different word than he's used before. So who's the spiritual here? That's a believer that... And believers walk by the Spirit, they're led by the Spirit, they bear the fruit of the Spirit, they're, they're alive by the Spirit, and then they keep in step by the Spirit. Paul is simply saying in Galatians 6.1, someone that restores is someone at the moment who's in Christ that doesn't need to be restored. 
You're in one of two positions this morning in any number of areas. You're able to restore somebody else because you're a believer, or you need to be restored in, in, a, in a specific area. What's the word restore mean? We've heard the, the sermons in Galatians 6, 1 to 4. What are the, what's that word literally mean, restore? That's right. It was used for the mending of a fishing net. It's not really good. You know, fishing net you cast, you throw, and it, it hits the water with all of the all of the weights, and then it settles down over the fish to the bottom, and it, it catches them in it. And if that net has a hole in it, when those weights are you know are all on the bottom of the bottom of the of the sea, and the fish are in there, then they 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 swim out. So this word was used to mend. That net to restore its useful. Fishing net's not really useful if it's got a big hole in it. And the other is resetting of, of, of a bone, bone that is broken. It's to restore to usefulness, to its original you know, condition. So in the church, when we have been overtaken, we've been waylaid by sin, we fall into something, other believers that aren't in, in that position that are still useful come alongside us, and then they mend the net. They reset the bone with the goal of restoring to usefulness. Um, and then we have the warning there that you do that gently. How would you like to go to the, the, the orthopedist with a, you know, with a broken arm? And he says, yeah, I can fix that. You know, he resets the bone. No anything else. That's the way we treat one another sometimes, right? We're to do it gently. Why are we to do it gently? You're looking to yourself. Well, guess what? You may not be the orthopedist next time. You may be the patient. <laughs> and so you want some anesthetic yourself. So here is a passage proving this is our task. And it's not just for the, the experts. Any comments on that? How do you work that out? Did you do your I did on Galatians 5, uh, 1 through uh, 6, 10. I did. I always think of Jim Ferguson whenever I come to Galatians 6, 1 because the very first exegesis project I ever did was on Galatians 6, 1 and, and 2. It was really hard. All right. B, biblical counseling and discipleship is not just for experts. It's also not optional. For a believer. There's nothing in that passage that we just read. I mean, think about this. Uh, you can be a Christian, just not a spiritual one, and God's okay with that. The spiritual are the ones that are doing the, the, the restoring. And you're commanded to be a spiritual man. You're, you're commanded to do all those things that we just read. The, the, the Spirit bears His fruit, but you're keeping in step with the Spirit. Because you live. It's not optional. This is something that you need to, to learn how to do. The greatest gift that you'll give anyone in your family, your wife, your children, your other brothers and sisters in Christ is to know how to solve problems biblically and then help others solve their problems biblically. Um, it's not just for experts. It's not optional. 
It's also not a separate ministry. Biblical counseling, what it's not. It's not a separate ministry from the normal body life of the church. This is not autonomous from the church. Why is the church necessary in discipleship and biblical counseling? Why is it necessary? God's design. The church is God's design. What else? To grow to be more like him. Okay. How does that happen in the in the body of Christ? We read some passages about modeling, didn't we? Read some passage about passages about restoration, others bearing one another's burdens. What else? Yeah, there you go. So maybe one believer is digging a well. But you still need to sit under the rain, don't you? Where, where does the water in the well come from? It comes from, comes from the, the preaching and teaching. What else do you need in church? What is an accountability? Okay. I mean, we, we think about the passages in the New Testament about singing. They're, they're largely about... The emphasis there on the songs that you used are about encouraging and admonishing one another, even in our song service. Everywhere you look, he just nailed it. Everywhere you look in the New Testament, it's one another, one another, one another, one another. All the commands are to one another. The blessings are for one another. God did not design Lone Ranger Christianity. It's not you and God, your vision, you're this, you're that. It's it's us. You you need one another. You provoke one another to love and good works. Yeah, Mark? We're fundamentally deceived. So we need one another. Mm. What, you want to flesh that out? I totally I'm agree. That, you know, we can't we can't really know we can't trust what we think. The Bible presents a, 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 an isolated man, somebody who doesn't engage with the church, is proud. You ever seen somebody that, that won't let anybody else in their life? Are they typically spiritually? Spiritual? No. Typically proud. They're typically stunted. There's in, they're ingrown. Um, they're only left at that point with their own thoughts. Um, that type of person typically won't even let the rain sink in. They always evaluate what the preacher is saying. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that or not, but I might agree with this. They kind of pick and choose what they what they want. Um, that's an arrogant man. It's a man that's very dangerous. Others, all the things that I 
really good great commission is just to make and mature disciples the being healthy church making and maturing it doesn't end with making please And you're saying that that includes bringing, you know, bringing Christ to somebody that's outside of the kingdom, but it doesn't stop with with them praying. It continues, you know, along, and they're brought into the church, and you're continuing to do that. So, did Jim? Yeah, the verse that Jim Newton um, read before, whom we preach, warning mm-hmm. every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present <coughs> every man So that maybe speaks not just to the maturity. It does, totally. I mean, that's our goal, our responsibilities from beginning to, to end. I really like the way that Dave Doran described it in his book, For the Sake of His Name. I think he even mentioned it in our missions conference when we had him one year. You know, He said, he, he's from Detroit. He said, I came from Detroit, Michigan to, to come here and preach this, this missions conference. And in order, to, in order to get here, I had to go to you know, to, to Detroit Airport. Um, now, I had to go to Detroit Airport to get here, but I, 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 my goal wasn't just to go to Detroit Airport. My goal was to come and preach the missions conference here. So in the Great Commission, yes, you, you have to win them to Christ. You evangelize them. You have to go to the airport, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is baptizing, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And so keep your eye on the goal. Don't it's not sure it's surely not less than going to the Detroit airport because you had to do that in order to get them you know in the church and, and disciple them so think of it in a, in a in a bigger picture and it's our responsibility to do that which is why I like that passage in Colossians because it goes maturity well a person that's mature has to be born uh, in the process yeah Bob? I was going to say it might be implicit and uh, obvious to point out but we have to be in a deep relationship with each other, not just, and especially in American culture, I think that's hard because it is an individualism culture. Um, You know, you can't just show up on Sunday, say hi for five minutes and get in any kind of deep relationship where you can restore someone just in that cursory, superficial conversation. It's got to be a deep communion with each other where we can restore each other. Yeah. How do you do that? I mean, there's temptations to do that. You have to be intentional. How, you're exactly right. How, how are you intentional? I mean, let me say it to you this way. Are you interested in other people? Or are you primarily interested about yourself? When you're in a conversation, are you in the conversation to hear yourself talk? <laughs> to tell somebody something else? Or are you in the conversation to hear because that relational component comes when you're actually interested in that other person. 
that's why your wife or whoever says to you, you, you know, you're not listening to me. <laughs> you know, they're talking, but they could tell, you know, lights are on, but nobody's home. So here's one of the things that I do before I come to church or any other gathering. I wouldn't say I do it every time, but it's, it's something that I'm trying to be intentional about. I pray and I say, Lord, I know that there's someone, because all these commands that we're talking about, I know there's someone that may need restored, may need ministry, may need provoked to love and good works, may just need a kind word, whatever it is. Um, lead me to that person. You know, give me open eyes to see who that, that might be. And then I understand we're all in a busy rush and those kind of things. You might want to slow down. But, but that prayer makes me intentional. It makes me think, you know. And it, it makes me more, uh, more aware. I'll, I'll stop and talk or listen or, or whatever it is, even though I've, I've, got a, I've got a task. Are you interested in somebody else? How can you tell whether you're interested in somebody else? We ask them questions. You let them talk about themselves. People love to talk about themselves. That's part of our problem. We like to talk about ourselves. And then that helps helps develop, uh, you know, a, a relationship. Yeah. yeah. I have two questions of clarification. All right. I don't want to get lost too much in the metaphor okay. of the water and the well. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I understand you're using biblical counseling and discipleship are just synonymous, mm-hmm. right? One of those is not raising the water and one of those is not digging the well. Right. I mean, discipleship and biblical counseling can be raising the water table. Right. Can be digging the well. Yes. And we all are responsible for helping raise the water table. Yes. And digging the well. Yes. Yes. Um, which is why Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen is so important, and even the one that Jim just mentioned. The goal is maturity in Christ, and so it's not either. It's not either or. It's both and. Raising the water table and digging the well, and so just like in uh, teaching, reproof, correction, and, and training, um, you know, all of those could be happening all at once, or one of those could be happening. There could be a, a moment when you rebuke, and and yet just because you rebuke doesn't mean that you don't train. So yeah. Yes. I was at a conference last week. We've been using the word admonish. Yeah. Many of the verses talk about admonish. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm. Okay. In what way? There's a little more act. There's a little more uh, proactive. Uh, yeah. A little more edge to it. Yeah. A little more, uh, you know, you know, of actually trying to encourage and, yeah. and get people off dead center. Yeah. Uh, get them moving. Get yeah. them acting the way they should. Yeah. So you used a few terms there, which I think are right on. It's biblical admonition, so it's truth from the Bible. But the word, you're correct, does have that aspect when I said place truth in the mind. It's not just kind of casting it out there. I mean, it is an idea of I'm coming to you, and I'm saying here's the truth, and I'm trying to put it in your mind. So there's clearly an aspect of, of I mean, in some ways, it's sometimes confrontation. In some ways... You know, uh, you're communicating, but the goal is you didn't have that in there before, and I want to put it in there, and there, and the correction that you know that that follows. So it's good, John. I had been speaking, and actually, it was the wife of one of the people at the conference that came to me afterwards and gently admonished me. Yeah. The sword is is sharp, and you know I, I think that goes back to Galatians six one about the gentleness with which we we, we do it, and and it's kind of it's kind of hard to be gentle with a with a sword. I mean, when we admonish, we don't have to come with the you know the two handed sword and hack everybody to death, but you know a carefully placed dagger that's really sharp can do its can do its work, can't it? Yeah. It's, it's something that should be going on among us, you know, certainly out of love, out of gentleness, but also out of concern that we're all uh, uh, getting where we need to be. Yeah. Yeah, First Thessalonians talks about the different conditions of the heart and the way in which you admonish. You know, there are those who are faint-hearted, there are those who are weak, and you deal with diff- those differently than the arrogant or the proud. And so, but the truth is obviously the always the source. Well, look at two. Um, I'm sorry, we didn't cover D. Look at D. It's not just a generic system with scriptures sprinkled over it. It's not a how-to or worldly wisdom with Bible verses. So biblical counseling is not five ways to fix your marriage and then going and finding a bunch of proof texts to back that up after you got your little your little system there. There's lots and lots of books that are written um love language uh you know are you an otter a beaver uh you know a lion or whatever and then if you figure out how your personality type and you practice all these love languages then 
you know, then then you're going to be able to fix your marriage and you find Bible verses to, to fit it. That's not biblical counseling. Two, conversely, biblical counseling and discipleship, what is it? It's each believer's responsibility. We read a bunch of passages about that. It's not these things, but it is the practical guidance that comes from a sound and thorough systematic theology. Now, he's going to flesh that out on the next page. But look at these two, uh, one and two under B. At a core, at core is our understanding of the nature of the Bible itself. What does the Bible say concerning itself? Well, we read that. It's authoritative, it's inerrant, it's sufficient. Therefore, it is profitable, it's enough. I mean, that's where you go. You go two. Each believer has been given the resource in the Word of God so that he can be equipped for this work. Um. I don't know enough of the Bible to help somebody is not a legitimate excuse. The answer then is go learn the Bible so that you can help somebody. I mean, that's... Every believer has been given the resource in the Word of God because this is not just about you helping somebody else with the Bible. It's about you understanding the Bible yourself, learning how to solve your problems with the Bible and and your family and other believers, and then the Lord will end up using you in, in, other, in other places. What is it? It's every believer's responsibility. It's practical guidance that comes from sound and thorough systematic theology. Look at C on the next page. What is it? It helps others discern and change desires, thinking, and behavior that don't conform to Christ. It warns others of false teaching and error. It helps discern and change. So what do you hear when you hear the word discern? What comes to your mind? When you judge, you learn to judge okay. what you hear against what yeah. the Bible actually teaches. Them. Yeah. Yeah, let's go back to what Mark says. We're fundamentally broken. We we are we think wrong. We need we need to be taught how to think, and, and the, the Bible is what teaches us that. So the idea of discerning is developing the ability to evaluate, and, and then land in the land in the right in the right place. And then not only discernment. What happens after you discern truth? Then change takes place. So what you're doing in biblical counseling or, or in discipleship is you're helping someone else discern whether they're thinking rightly or not based on the Bible and then changing their thinking on that basis. And so you have this progression, desires, thinking, and behavior. And don't get that out of order. A lot of times we try to change the behavior. And if you change the thinking, then the behavior follows. You can get somebody to, to walk straight and, and remain a hypocrite or, or whatever. Desires change. 
in salvation, desires change by sitting under the word, your want-to changes, your thinking changes, and then your behaviors, your actions change. And that's the, the biblical order. And at times that includes warning others. Agreeing false teaching and error. Yeah, Jim? Well, also, on, on the point of discernment, it says that um, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. Mm-hmm. So part of being a Christian is God opens up in the spiritual realm mm-hmm. all of these tools mm-hmm. that are at our, at our disposal. Yeah. So, you know, as we mature in Christ, we ought to be sharpening our swords Amen. through that understanding. Yeah. Uh, the natural man doesn't understand the things of God. They're spiritually discerned. The Spirit, what's the role of the Spirit? The Spirit illumines, illuminates, gives us the ability to understand the, the Word, and you develop a skill you know, in that, like Jim is saying. Yeah, Cody? That's excellent. Good. Tenderhearted. Gentle. Galatians, when you're restoring, you're gentle. But sometimes, I mean, being gentle and telling somebody, it doesn't really matter. If, if you know that there's an error there and that you have to help them or the bone's out of joint, it's going to hurt. You know, and it's not going to be easy to do that. I mean, do you find it fun or enjoyable? Or is it easy to go somebody and correct them? That's hard. So do it in a in a in a general way. You guys look like you're getting blinded back there by the by the sun. Ah. I just thought maybe the spiritual glow of the sun. Well, look at D. What it is? It's actually discipline and a pattern of maturity that is defined in the Bible. Well, those two words are contrary to our culture, aren't they? Discipline and maturity. Maturity is not exalted in our culture, just the opposite. And discipline and hard work and difficult you know, striving is, is not exalted either. But it's part of the process. It's hard work to disciple one another and disciple your own soul. Um, I'm going to let you read uh, the rest, and I'm probably going to refer back to to this. Um, but your assignment for for this week is is to process this level one through level five, um, and and see if you can watch the progression here. You start with the scriptures. You know, as your source, you, you move to proper interpretation, and from the interpretation comes doctrinal positions. From doctrinal positions, then you organize them and you confine them, uh, combine them, and then you develop a practical theology. How you put that into practice 
and then you apply those to specific situations, implications that confront the the inner life, and then and then that's really what you're doing in discipleship and, and, and biblical counseling. Any comments before we close? Yeah, Mark. I just wanted to say that we missed uh, one point you know, of real application is that psychology has made big business out of uh, the expert system of mm-hmm. man's theories. Mm-hmm. And Christian psychology sprinkles scripture over that. And if we take Jesus' words face value in John 17, sanctify them by your word, your word is true. We know we can never sanctify the second. Amen. There's a lot of counterfeits out there in the world. And just because you stick the name Jesus over it doesn't mean that it's it's gonna be effective in any way. In fact it could be counterproductive. Um, good. Uh, that's a great closing admonition. Not to focus too much on the on the hard part and, and miss the, the blessing that God has. Um, that's that's the if you remember the first man that ever discipled me, Brett Edwards, and I've repeated it probably since then. Um, God never asks you to dig a well in the desert that he doesn't bring somebody else along to drink out of it. Digging a well in the desert is really hard. It's hot. Not fun. It's wonderful when you hit water. <laughs> um, but it's not... The suffering, the difficulty you're going through, is, this is, it's not for, for not. The Lord will bring somebody else along for you to be able to help them. And that's exactly how Second Corinthians starts. You can comfort others with the comfort that you have that you've received and once you've dug the well um, finding another thirsty traveler that you can relate to that you understand what it's like to be really really thirsty and give them the water and watch them enjoy it there's great joy in that as, as Clay is, is sharing this so, let me pray for you Father, thank you for the day, and uh, we pray that you would help us to learn and put these things into into practice. Thank you for a church that knows that there is one source, your voice, your authority, your truth, your book, um, strives to practice that, and then loves each other enough to, to bring it to bear in our lives. And, We ask all these things and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.